few years ago, I remember watching uh, a television show. It was a situation comedy. Um, and the plot of that particular episode was a, the father was going to teach his teenage son the value of things and what life cost. And so he gave his son an allowance of um, money in Monopoly money and then turned around and charged his teenage son rent to live in the home, the cost for food, a meal, transportation. You want to borrow a dad's car, then it would cost. And all in a, in a comical way, the show tried to show parental responsibility in teaching the children the cost of life. This morning, today, I want to show you the cost of salvation. Not in monopoly money, but in the life and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to start with a text in Luke's Gospel that tells us of the birth of our Savior. Would you read along in the Word of God, Luke chapter 2 and verse 15. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. We're very familiar with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is a story to be told that begins with His birth in some respects and continues all the way through to His death. All of the Gospels give us the record of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to turn to John chapter 19. While upon the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ uttered seven sayings. Here is the sixth, and near the end of His life, the sixth saying of the Lord Jesus Christ in the original Greek language was one word. It translates in the English language as three to get the full concept. Read with me John chapter 19 and verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. Bowing His head, He gave up His spirit. Somewhere between that scene at Bethlehem when the... Shepherd said, let us go and see this thing which the Lord has made known to us. The birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then upon the cross of Calvary, when Jesus uttered one word in the original language, what we translate as, it is finished. If we will look and if we will listen closely, we see the cost of salvation. We see what the Lord Jesus Christ has done, what it cost for Him to provide salvation for us. 
Bethlehem was only the entrance to the painful road that He took for us. The cost of salvation was uttered by the other inspired writers of the Scripture, the New Testament writers, as they spoke of that cost. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 18, tells us that the cost of salvation is incalculable. In other words, you can't calculate it. Peter said, "...knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot." Peter grasped the cost of salvation and that it could not be calculated in dollars and cents in monetary form. Paul grasped the cost of salvation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, what a precious verse. Paul said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that though He was rich, Yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might be made rich. Do you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? It is inconceivable that Jesus would leave the glories of heaven, leave all that He was rightly given, who He was, to leave that aside, lay it aside in some respects, and take upon Himself human flesh to come to this earth, become poor, that we through His poverty might be made rich. Paul, in writing to the Philippians, spoke of the cost in that wonderful passage that gives us the emptying of Christ, the kenosis it's called. There we might say that he described the cost of salvation as being indescribable. Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 and the the following verses, 8 through 11. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So God hath highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name, indescribable, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The cost is indescribable incalculable, inconceivable of what Jesus did for us. It began at Bethlehem and continued all the way to the cross. Some think that His death is all that we have to speak of in order to describe the cost of salvation, but I want to take you on a journey that I believe the Scripture leads us down to describe the cost of salvation. We find at Bethlehem, that he emptied himself. 
Going back again to this text in Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, we are told that He made Himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. That, my friend, Philippians 2 and verse 7 is describing for us the incarnation. That Jesus would empty Himself. He made Himself of no reputation and He became from He became a man, being found in the appearance of a man. At Bethlehem, he wasn't a spirit, he was a baby. Born in the flesh, God became man. That was necessary in order to provide salvation. That was a part of God's plan, the Father's plan, the Son's plan. Jesus condescended himself. He stooped. From heaven. Think about that. Dottie Rambo wrote a song many years ago. It's been sung often. He left the splendor of heaven. Knowing his destiny was the lonely hill of Golgotha. There to lay down his life for me. If that isn't love. Do you know that love? Do you know that it started at Bethlehem when he emptied himself? He condescended to stoop from heaven. He was degraded in stooping from heaven. He bore our judgment by stooping from heaven to become a man. The birth of Christ, He emptied Himself. What did it cost to bring salvation? Well, it begins at Bethlehem. But I want us to go further. In the life of Christ, I want us to see the cost of salvation in that in His life He encountered Satan in the wilderness. The three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, each give us a record of Christ's temptation at the onset of His public ministry. They, scholars would tell us that He was somewhere in the range of 30 years of age at that point. And so now Jesus, and this is no doubt, He's been tempted, I'm sure, before, but at the onset of His public ministry, we have the record of three temptations. I'm certain there were more. But as He encountered Satan in the wilderness, Mark's Gospel in Mark chapter 1 and verse 13, well, verse 12 and 13 says, Immediately the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness, and He was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan. And he was with, Mark tells us, he was with the wild beast. All of the fury of hell was unleashed upon Christ, upon the blessed Son of God who became man in order to get him to stumble, in order to get him to sin. What does the temptation of Christ in the wilderness prove? Well, one, it proves he was a man. Satan wouldn't have tempted a spirit. He wouldn't have tempted a ghost. He tempted the God-man. But it also proves that he was sinless. He was without sin. Now think about that. He tempted him as a man to prove that 
Well, that it could be proven that he was sinless. I go back to the Old Testament and I think about in the book of Ruth. Remember Boaz? He was called the kinsman redeemer. He was related distantly and able to redeem. There we're introduced to this concept of the kinsman redeemer. The Lord Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. He became a man at Bethlehem, the incarnation. He was tempted. This temptation in the wilderness at the onset of His public ministry reveals to us that He was able to say no to sin. Being tempted is not a sin. He he rebuked Satan and in every instance He said, look at the Word of God, according to the Word of God. It's in the Word of God. Man shouldn't live by bread alone, but by every word. That's the way the Savior defeated the temptation. We need a sinless Savior in order to have a Redeemer. We would have no victory. We would have no joy. We would have no celebration if there was not a sinless Savior. On the road to the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ met Satan the ruthless enemy. And all of the ability of Satan was not able to cause our Savior to stumble. He was victorious. And it was all a part of the cost of salvation. The life that Jesus led is intimately a part of our redemption. He had to be sinless. He had to live a righteous life, not a sinful life. And He did. So we look at this journey through the Scripture and we see the cost of salvation, certainly the incarnation or the birth of Christ, certainly His temptation in the wilderness. But Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, gives us a little more insight for it says in Hebrews 12 and verse 3 that He endured the contradiction of sinners or He endured the hostility of sinners. Listen to the word of God. Hebrews 12, verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. The writer of Hebrews says, Consider him, the Lord Jesus, who endured such, the old King James uses the word contradiction, it's a word that means strife. It's a word that means strong opposition. I think, as the New King James translates it, hostility. Jesus in His life endured hostility. He was described as a man of sorrows. What a name. A man of sorrows. Think about all that He suffered in life. He suffered socially as all who forsook Him. All forsook Him, turned away from Him. It's amazing that at the cross, the crucifixion of Christ, where are those He healed? You would think out of gratitude that they would have been there to stand by Him. But no, they forsook Him. The social suffering of Christ. I'm convinced we'll never fully understand all that He suffered socially, Mentally, physically, whoever suffered like him. The Bible says he suffered numerically. None stood by him. 
the Scripture says. The suffering of Christ. He endured such hostility from sinners against Himself. Hateful hands. Striving sinners nailed Him to the cross. Much had been the life of Christ in those three years of His public ministry as He proves to us a sinless life. His suffering was unmerited. He did not deserve it. His suffering was unlimited. We'll never fully comprehend what Jesus went through on the cross of Calvary. His suffering was unmerciful. And His suffering was unusual. Peter describes it this way. It says that He suffered the just for the unjust. So rare that one who was just without sin would suffer for those and the penalty for those who were unjust or sinners. So we've seen in His birth the cost of salvation. He came here to become a man that He might go to the cross and pay the debt for our sin. We've seen in His temptation that that's a part of the cost of salvation. We've seen in His life, as He suffered in life, that that was necessary to bring salvation, to pay the cost. All of this was a part of the cost of salvation. But I want to take you even closer to Calvary, closer to Golgotha, there in a garden called Gethsemane, as Jesus went a little farther apart from His disciples to pray. I want you to see the agony in the garden that He entered into as Jesus suffered in prayer. Mark's Gospel records it. Mark chapter 14, verse 32 to 34. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And He said to His disciples, Sit here while I pray. And He took Peter, James, and John with Him and began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then He said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. What a sacred spot in the Mount of Olives in this garden of Gethsemane surrounded by olive trees. As Jesus probably went to a secret place that He often went to to pray. And there in agony, He told His closest, that inner circle of disciples, Peter, James, and John, you stay here. They were tired. They couldn't even stay awake. But Jesus said, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. When we think of the price that Jesus paid, when we think of the cost to save sinners, don't Forget Gethsemane as Jesus there prayed in this sublime spot so close to Calvary. Sin's torment, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. And as He prayed, He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. What cup was He talking about? The cup of Suffering, no doubt. 
that He would suffer on Calvary's cross, but also the cup of wrath. As God the Father would pour out His wrath for all of mankind's sin upon the sinless Son of God. Cost of salvation as He prayed. He told His disciples that the flesh was weak. Praise God, the Spirit was willing. For He went on to say, Nevertheless, Father, Thy will be done. What did it cost to provide salvation for you? What did it cost to save my sinful soul, my hell-deserving soul? It cost a Savior who would pray in the garden, Nevertheless, Thy will be done. The Bible says that He agonized so that He sweat great drops of blood. Physicians have tried to analyze that and what must have taken place. The Bible also tells us that angels came and ministered to him as he prayed there and as he sweat great drops of blood. Some even say it's as though literally the heart burst. Blood began to pour out. But he lived, so maybe in the uh, ministering, the care of the angels. But what Jesus was doing was paying a price. It's not paid in full at this point. He's identifying with sin. What a price to be paid for you and for me. The cost hasn't been paid in full. Birth, identifying with mankind. Temptation, He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Suffering in life, He endured the hostility of sinners. Agonizing in prayer for us. He's paying the price. But there's one more stop in this journey. And it's at Golgotha. The place of the skull. Mount Calvary. There on that mountain in the place of execution are three crosses. And the Lord Jesus was hung between the three, nailed to a cross. His blood would be shed. And He would utter from the cross, as we read earlier, John 19 and verse 30, these three words in English, it is finished. But in the original language, it was the Greek word, tetelestai. It was a common word that was used in that day. It was a word that's found in archaeological research and other places. Uh, there, there would be parchment, papyri, that, that they would find taxes had been paid. And when they were paid in full, they would write across the top, Tetelesta. Paid in full. And the words on Jesus' lips on the cross of Calvary, the six of His seven sayings from the cross, it is finished. So easily can be translated, paid in full. The redemptive work was completed. Some want to add that Jesus had to go to hell and suffer in hell. and No! When Jesus died on the cross, when He, when he 
uttered these words, It is finished. The redemptive work was complete. He had been made sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21 says, That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He suffered the penalty of God's justice, which sin deserved. The cost of salvation was tetelesta, paid in full. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Because my sin, not His, my sin left a crimson stain. And He, not me, not you, He washed it white as snow. What is the cost of salvation? The just for the unjust. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And what do we need to hear today? Paid in full. And I ask you, do you believe it? You see, it's a gift that Paul describes to the Corinthians as indescribable. He says, thanks be unto God for His indescribable gift. His birth, His temptation, His suffering in life, His agony in prayer, and His death on the cross. He paid it all in full. Do you believe it? Are you trusting in Him? Or do you think it takes a little bit of you? You think it takes a little bit of a church that you've got to be in the right church? And that makes a mockery of what Jesus paid. You say, how can I have this gift? The Bible says, believe. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved. Trust in Him. Belief means that I cast my trust in everything else aside. If I'm trusting in Him in baptism, if I'm trusting in Him in church membership, if I'm trusting in Him in good works, I'm not trusting in Him alone. Are you trusting in Him? Do you believe? Do you trust Him? Do you believe that He paid the cost that you owed, that I owed? He paid it in full. In the words of John Newton, who wrote the beautiful hymn, Amazing Grace, and who understood God's grace in his own life. He said, nearing the end of his life, he said, I'm old and here's what I've come to learn. Simply these truths. One, that I am a great sinner. Two, that Jesus is a greater Savior. Are you trusting in Him? Do you know that He paid it all on the cross of Calvary? We're not celebrating, observing, participating in the Lord's Supper this morning. But it ought to remind us that the cost of salvation, His body broken, His blood shed, it's been paid for you. Can you celebrate? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and for the price that Jesus paid for our salvation. 
I pray that everyone here in this room and everyone watching and listening to this message can say with certainty, Jesus paid it all for me and I'm trusting in Him. I wouldn't want anyone to leave here today and think that they're doing something or they've, they've got to do something in order to be saved or be right with you. Thank you that Jesus paid it all. The cost has been paid. And thank you, Father, that it's not with monopoly money or some silver and gold that's going to perish or fade away, but with the precious blood of Christ that does not defile, that does not fade away. Father, move in the hearts of those who hear today and who would believe upon Christ. For those who say with certainty, I know that I'm saved and I'm trusting in Him. Lord, may we share this message. May we point others to the blessed Son of God who paid the cost of salvation. For we pray this in His name. Amen.